from Immersive Labs, this is Cyberhumanity. Hello again, I'm your host, Chris Pace. Cyberhumanity is the podcast taking cybersecurity personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. I'm joined by the first three months of an InfoSec bikini calendar that no one will ever buy. <laughs> and okay, we're not talking about that. Paul Bentham. <laughs> And I and it's my um, it's my dubious pleasure to introduce Anthony Dalton, um, who is uh, standing stepping into the breach for Max Vetter, who's getting married. Everyone, just to sh- share that with the world, I'm sure he won't. I'm sure he won't mind. Thanks, Anthony, for joining us. Um, yeah, we said we wouldn't talk about the infosec we're bikini thing, so we're not going it. to. <laughs> but I thought it was good it. for a, I thought it was good for a gag at the outset. Where we are going to start is in the. <laughs> is in the now i want you to ch- everyone check your calendars it isn't 1999 <laughs> but we're going to start with printers i didn't even I know printers. that people still had printers the only need i've ever thought you would have for a printer is when you've got to send something back to amazon occasionally i don't <laughs> no, have no, any other need for a printer print yeah but sometimes I, I think sometimes they can't any but anyway printers still exist in some places clearly places that don't care about the planet and now those printers are rising up against us kev tell us how what's the revenge of the printers uh to be fair so it's not the actual printers this is nothing to do with the printers kev, no, don't, kev, hang on yeah i know i'm ruining the i'm ruining the illusion plus printers deserve our yeah, anger exactly pc load letter the fuck does that mean i just was looking for a way to vent at printers I mean, so don't ruin this for us. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were still plenty of vulnerabilities in printers, and I think there were some remote code exec in printers that came cyber out a couple of weeks side. ago. Don't get on all the cybers in printers. <laughs> printers are evil. I mean, I, I I use Linux, so I have no idea how to print ever. Like, I I have to spin up like a virtual machine and use a virtual machine in Windows and pass through <laughs> in order to be able to print. So yeah, like, what is it? What even is a printer? So it's something in it's some it's the thing in Windows that lets you do printing, but still that is a to me that is a nuance. I am blaming the printers. <laughs> so th- this is specifically in the printer spooler, uh, and more specifically that it's in the bit that lets you install printer drivers, because printers need their own drivers because printers all talk different languages. Like there's no there are a couple of standards, but for the most part you need to install a set of drivers specific to your device. And the exploit or the vulnerability here is that normally only administrators are allowed to install drivers because drivers run like really low in the operating system. So lots of uh, privileges. Uh, Turns out that actually you can bypass that authentication uh, remotely and install a driver. So as long as you've got genius, as long as you've got valid credentials, so any user account, so on a domain. Uh, any standard user can just go uh, install these print drivers uh, on the domain controller. Oh, and that's not a really a print driver. That's a bit of malware, uh, which then runs a system. I love these seemingly mundane uh, vulnerabilities. What wasn't um, 
Wasn't this? It wasn't Stuxnet. Didn't that have a print spooler? Stuxnet well? had a like print spool. The the oh, most advanced, the actually. most advanced piece of malware the world has ever seen in about a million parts. And wasn't it? Well, it was a print spooler, wasn't it? Print spooler. <laughs> the print spool vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of confusion around this as well. Uh, so. Uh, this was originally tracked as uh, CVE 2021-1675, uh, which is also a uh, a local privilege escalation vulnerability in exactly the same place. Uh, and then on tw- on Twitter and GitHub, uh, people thought they'd identified the same thing independently, so they published it. Turns out they hadn't found the same thing. It was just kind of in the same place. Uh this is an, uh, a full-on accidental zero day. So this wasn't patched. Uh, this is a brand new CVE. So, so they released what proof of, proof of concept into the public domain, did they? They released proof of concept into the public domain, then said, hey, we're now talking about this at Black Hat, so let's remove it from the public domain. But that's not how the public domain works. Once it's there, it's there. And somebody had forked it, and then it got forked and forked again. Uh, and then somebody took it and rewrote it uh, in a much nicer um, language. And then it just became a thing from there. Uh, Kevin, when I was reading through this, I wondered whether there was a little bit of InfoSec handbags going on in the background here, where there was competing people that had found the same vulnerability, but had tried to outdo each other to release, and then it all went a little bit haywire. It, it does. It, it does seem that there's a bit of that because they uh, like two parties independently found stuff, and this was almost like one-upmanship as they were hey, exactly. uh, like somebody posted a video of it saying we found this, and they're like, "Well, that's our finding, so look, we're going to publish all of our source code." And then they were like, "That's probably not what we should be doing as we're talking about a black hat." Uh, but yeah, by that point, the damage was done, and it wasn't GitHub that pulled it. You don't because we we have had talks about this before where GitHub's been pulling or threatening to pull. Yeah, they. They took it down themselves, but not before it had already been forked. Uh, and then somebody said, well, I'm just going to put it back up there. Uh, leaving all of the original citations in place, so it's still credited to the original authors. Like The, the guy who reposted it didn't try and claim it as in his own. So is this patch now? No. And no that patch. would explain why CISA... CISA. CISA. Um, <laughs> that would explain why they're now publishing um, an, an alert to say you need basically... You should turn it off, right? Uh, yeah. So this, I mean, this is pretty much as bad as it goes. So every ransomware group at the moment is going to be loving this because it's unpatched. Mm. If you've got any initial access, you can go from initial access to the domain controller and just get full access to everything. Like you are the highest level of privilege. I saw a really interesting uh, thing on Twitter, but a meme that basically had the uh, domain controller as the Death Star and uh, the Prince Baller as the exhaust port. That little yeah. hole torpedo <laughs> down, which I thought was quite apt. And of course, it it's, it's prevalent. It's it's prevalent because it's on like everywhere. I'm guessing it's a thing that is ter- that is on by default, even if you're not using it. So your domain yeah. controller probably has this turned on, for example, even if it's not doing any printing, which it probably Windows isn't. 7, Windows 10, servers 2008, 12, 16, and 19. So pretty much everything. Wow. So I think what you're saying is that the only mitigation about this is not patched. So the only mitigation is to turn it off hmm. or, and I think you're all missing one, we should just have a printer amnesty. Yeah, it's, no, I, I, I think I think I think go further. Don't even call it an amnesty. I think it's t- it's like for time for some for like a printer, like a cull. So <laughs> if you don't, if if you have in your home a 
a printer that is you know destroying the planet one sheet of a4 at a time it is time for it to be destroyed but also chris and not just an environmental thing it's a mental health thing i think printers are destroying the mental health of anybody trying to use them as well so what we should <laughs> they never because they never work <laughs> I, get, I get on board with that uh so examples of where uh, just outright disabling it has proven to maybe harder is in organizations that print payslips. So you're no longer printing payslips. Mm. Who's getting um, a printed payslip? Pay uh, people get paper payslips. I used to before well, I joined. Well, actually, in America, you actually uh, pay by check still, apparently. And and it's not got a queue in either. They give you a little brown envelope every week or something. Or there's no, I, Hang on a sec. Uh, there's no queue in there. Like a... Yeah, I was a spelling gag. The, the, it, um, no, some of our customers, some of our customers pay by check. Oh, that yeah, that's that's not necessarily a thing. I mean, when I when I worked at other vendors, you know, there were large government customers that Paul used to work for that were still doing their POs by fax. Fax, so, wow. fax is magic. Mrs. Bentham <laughs> thinks fax is magic. You put paper in one end and it transmits over the wires and comes out the other end. So I, I was ha- I had to fill in a legal document. I had Sorry. to fill in a legal document, uh, and it was for a change of address. And so I emailed them and said, uh, "Listen, I've moved address. Uh, this is my old address. This is my new address." They emailed me back to say, "I'm really sorry, but email isn't secure. Uh, so can you fax it to us instead?" Because <laughs> me randomly faxing you a document is so much more secure. Yeah, I know than exactly the email what's going to happen. I know exactly on. what's going to happen to that data at the other end as well, don't I? Like it's not just going <laughs> to fall out of a fax machine into a <laughs> bin onto the or floor. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, onto the floor and then slide under the the cabinet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it feels to me like Kev, what you're saying is uh, a this is quite bad. B, we all hate printers, and C, there's not really anything that much that you could do about it because it hasn't been patched. And also, I'm assuming that if some threat actor decides to use it, then it's probably also not going to get detected. Uh, well, so when this first came out, uh, there's a couple of us in the community that uh, immediately started looking for ways to detect this. Uh, so we worked with Florian Roth, uh, who uh, built and uh, delivers Sigma rules. So we do actually have uh, some detections. So we can identify successful exploit attempts. uh, And in certain situations, uh, we can identify uh, failed attempts as well. So there are uh, logs, not standard logs, but there are logs enabled by default, um, but they might not be shipped into your seam, but they are there. How long do you think it'll be before Redmond fixes it? Uh, I mean, that's where two weeks away from Patch Tuesday. So I'm half expecting that they're actually going to delay the release and roll it into the update there. That would make the most sense in terms of uh, making, like giving them time to test it, uh, getting it into like a proper update cycle. But if we see it being used, they might roll something uh, ahead of time. But I'm expecting this is going to get done in Patch Tuesday. Have you seen it in your honeypots, Kev? Uh, no, Um there is a caveat so like i said we it does require some form of authenticated access so it has to be a domain account or it has to be a, a user account on a, a machine which means that you're not likely going to see this against standard honeypots uh you'd need internal honeypots you might find this on but uh not wild ones do you the other thing i was interested on on this article is that of course these people who found this vulnerability which is a big one right mm-hmm. it, they 
when for public disclosure rather than responsible bug bounty disclosure how what's the economics there because like if i'd have found something juicy like this like surely i'm getting a six-figure paycheck aren't i i think that's where the confusion has come in because uh, it's the same function so uh i think it's something like rpc or spl uh printer install device x uh, it's the same library uh, that has this exploit and i think it's two subtly different exploits and i think that's why when they publish their code uh, I think they had responsibly disclosed one side of it, not realizing the impact of the other side. I got it. So from best I can tell, this has... Uh, but the Black Hat... Uh, it's either Black Hat, I can't remember if it's Black Hat or DEF CON, uh, but they're going to be talking about it there. Apparently they've got more, uh, which will be interesting to see. I think you'll find that if they're going to talk at Black Hat, they have to have more because they're contractually obliged <laughs> not to talk about things. They're contractually obliged not to talk about things they've already talked about in the public domain. That yeah. is a thing you sign um, when you say you're going to do a Black Hat talk. So there must there must be more. Yeah, they they, they did wrap that by saying this is only one of the things we found. So uh, how much of that has been responsibly disclosed, I don't know. You want to pitch your labs now, Kev? I know you've, I know you you've been busy. I'm going to tell people that. Yeah, so um, as we were identifying this, uh, it's super trivial to kind of exploit. There's some really stable uh, POC code out there. So we've built and published two labs, uh, one where you get to play the role of a junior red teamer, where you get to use the exploit to compromise the domain controller, uh, and then one from the other side, you're a junior SOC analyst or threat hunter, uh, and you get to go hunting through some logs, identifying the correct log entries uh, for successful exploit attempts. All very cool. Are they, are they available by fax? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sadly, not modern browsers only. Uh, shame. All right. So on this podcast, we did not talk about the HSC in Ireland being ransomware because we were like, eh, more ransomware, you know, ransomware happens. Um, but it was a big story. There was a load of data leaked. We kind of knew that. Um, but it's the story's evolved this week in that the HSC in Ireland now have managed to secure a high court order to be able to get details of virus total users who accessed data from that uh, breach or that attack. Have, have I explained that right, Kev? What are the what are the details? So, a, what's actually in Virus Total, and b, like, what? How does this affect you know privacy and users of Virus Total and stuff like that? So uh, rolling all the way back, so this was back in May, this was Conti Ransomware Group, uh, and they stole a load of stuff, um, about 700 gigs worth of, uh, of personal data, like payroll and stuff like that. Uh, to prove it, that they had it, they posted uh, samples of the stolen data. Uh, some of the stolen data made its way into VirusTotal. So VirusTotal, uh, owned by Google or a subsidiary of, uh, is a service where anybody can upload samples. It gets scanned with 50 or 60 uh, AV scanners, and then it says, yes, this is good, or no, this is, uh, yes, this is bad, or no, this is good, or whatever the results are. Um, so it looks like some of these were uploaded to VirusTotal. Um the interesting thing there is that anybody who's got a commercial virus total account and some research groups have the ability to download any sample so, from virus total. So just for clarity, the HSE themselves uploaded that stuff to virus total or like how did it end up there? Uh 
this is it, it wasn't hate to see themselves uh i don't believe i think what happened is uh conti posted a link to all of the stuff they had and then that was uploaded to virus though so that could maybe have been a sample by... of the stuff they had perhaps yeah uh, they could have uploaded it themselves uh it could have been uh, like me as a researcher if i was looking at stuff that had been uh dumped uh, i might uh scan it with virus total just to get a quick look as like has this been trojanized like is conti using it to try and infect researchers which we've seen that kind of technique used before uh, so it, it co- it's more likely that that's the way this was uploaded rather than HSE doing it themselves. I think as well, it's just a cross-section of files. It's a small number of files. So it's obviously a, a proof of uh, attack. Yeah. Now, that being said, there are plenty of organizations who accidentally, and in some cases deliberately, uh, leak data into VirusTotal all the time. A lot of um, next-gen AVs uh, will link with VirusTotal and will just submit files. So you can search VirusTotal and find lots of PDFs, lots of emails, uh, including all of that personal detail where uh, your security products are uploading them to VirusTotal via the API. But only if you are a corporate user with a corporate account right so it's not just any okay all right Uh, uh, so only a corporate user can download that but anybody can upload for free like you don't need an account to be able to upload Mm, to virus total which is what a lot of these next gen scanners do but in the context of of who who will be identified by this core order they will be corporate users won't they corporate users in in Uh, companies corporate users or researchers or researchers uh, who are paid for that license yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, VirusTotal will have the correlated uh, IP address of yeah. the. Uh, sorry, the. Um, they'll have the IP address and the API key, which they'll be able to tie back to an account, which will have an email address associated with it. So, uh, yeah, the the court how, how order this, would reveal that. But how does this help HSC? Like, what do they get from getting those people's names? And it feels to me like it just it's just them doing something. Because they're not going to find out who the attacker is by doing this, are they? No, and it sets like quite a dangerous precedent as well. Like we've seen this with we was, we spoke about this a few months ago, uh, where somebody found uh, an online GitHub repo, like tried to disclose it, yep. and then the lawyers just went, "Well, that's our personal data. Like we're going to grab, we're going to like file lawsuits and stuff against you." It feels like the same thing could happen here. Like if I, as a researcher, downloaded that data to see what was in there, I might now find myself uh, with a lawsuit coming at me by HSE because I've got their data. So I, I think Chris, I, I agree with you that it's um, does HSE doing something because they've also uh, slapped an injunction on uh, some of the national newspapers um, to ensure that they themselves don't make the data public. So I think maybe they're stuck between a rock and a hard place and have to be seen to be taking some kind of action. And maybe it's the result of that. I'm not sure they would be able to enforce this injunction were it not for the fact that the data center for virus total is in Ireland, right? I think that's a factor as well. I don't. I think you would struggle to do this if potentially if you were outside Ireland. I don't know the legal ramifications, but it seems to me as though they can only do this because they're an Irish entity and this data effectively exists in Ireland. Potentially, yeah. Do you think this whole model is going to like? It's the bit. It's going to um, 
not be viable anymore. Like the idea that you upload stuff to virus data and those are copies of your own files and that's giving away almost effectively inside secrets about what's going on in your organization and it's doing it automatically via API. But the whole thing feels a little bit like I I know invert you're gonna love it, Kev, of course you do, because it's where we get intel about what's going on inside those organizations. But if I'm an organization, am I really happy with that going out there? Like it feels to me like it might not. It might be a model that's no longer fit for well, that's purpose. A de- that's a decision for the organisation to make. So uh, there's it's uh, there's things you can do. So why would they? Why would they have do? Why would an organisation subscribe to this? Why would they take that balance of risk? Uh, it depends on the size of the organisation. If we're talking like massive organisations, they're not going to well, take the. Let's take the HSE. Why would they? Uh, so again, this wasn't the HSE. HSE didn't in this instance. This, this wasn't them. Um, my guess is that Conti published it. Somebody downloaded it from the Conti website and uploaded it to uh, Virus That's the loop we went. Sorry. Now you're still right in that a lot of services will automatically scan. We've seen this in old Canon and others that were ransomed. We saw that we know what happened because uh, of the virus Garmin was a really good example of this, where Garmin, Garmin had yeah. uh, their entire decryption pack uploaded to to Virus Total because their whatever their AV next gen is automatically doing submissions. But I mean, look at Microsoft uh, on Microsoft Windows Defender. Enabled by default is the upload suspicious samples to Microsoft. So if you've got a PDF there's a real PDF that contains really sensitive data, but it might alert against the uh, Microsoft Defender automated thing. That document now Yeah, they're not the only Microsoft. ones. There's a load of other yeah, platforms that do that, for sure. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, they all do this. Like every- Yeah, but slightly differently, that the general public can't get access to those documents. Like, you, 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 it, they stay in Microsoft or whoever. Yeah, no, I will say, I mean, the cost of VirusTotal is expensive. Uh, so it's not like everybody can just go and do this. So you are limiting the risk uh, in that regard. But yeah, like an attack group could set themselves up as a company, buy themselves a virus total account and be using that to scrape some fairly sensitive data because of the way you can create and run. Like I love virus total, but it has the ability to do some damage if you've got. Well, there's an interesting model as well that, like, any ransom malware actors out there, you could probably just watch Virus Total, see an upload of a sample that looks like somebody's in there, and then target that organization because they've obviously got some sort of vulnerability that you can go against. Yeah. Should also the balance of responsibility not be on the organization to yes. disable by default the upload to VT and, and, and not target the individuals who click on a thing um, and download it? I say yes. But if you've just bought a next-gen AV mail scanner, you don't know what it's doing in the back end. Like VirusTotal had this whole issue before where services were effectively illegally using the VirusTotal API to basically get free scans out of it by not buying an API key, using a free API key and just submitting hashes to check them in real time. So yes, organizations, but if you've bought a product without really checking what that product does, you might not know what it's doing. You're at the you're you're at the wrath of the vendors there. I think we've identified loads of potential challenges with the way that Virus Total currently works, but I think what we haven't identified is where, that there appears to be no tangible benefit to the HSE doing this, apart from it. It looks like decent PR, like we're doing something. Uh, yeah, I mean, even uh, I was thinking maybe there's one because they can find out who uploaded it. Mm. 
But again, like this is already data that was published into the public domain. So I don't know what you get by identifying the person or persons who uploaded that leaked data to VirusTotal. And definitely slapping an injunction on them is not going to be a good look for you, I, I, I don't think. Um, so yeah i mean virus total are really good like if if you can ask for hashes to be removed and they're from what i've seen before they're really good at going yeah okay that's like that's your data like we know it's not malware like we'll remove that for mm. you they there's an entire service available for doing that so i don't unless they've tried to go that route and virus total have said no and i, I can't understand why they'd say that this all just feels like really heavy-handed all right, let's crack on because we've got a lot to cover this week. Um, next, I want to let you all know the United States of America is the world's most cyber secure nation. And that, that gentleman, is a stone cold fact. And do you know why? Because I read it in the register. <laughs> I mean, is this not just because it's possibly the most targeted planet on Earth? Uh, is, is it, their head of well and true above the parapet and therefore they have to be the most cyber secure nation oh anthony <laughs> but it's a, it, it, okay uh, uh, anthony I, I love that you've tried to begin in the realms of in the realms of common sense because i i could turn around i could turn around and say to you yes they're the most attacked nation in the world if we were just taking examples of the most widespread you know, attacks and breaches over the last, let's say, year, they are exclusively, they're almost exclusively the United States. And and actually two-thirds, yeah. 95%, is SolarWinds anyway. So it becomes a bit of a not, like it becomes a bit of a non-discussion there. My bigger concerns are that the United Nations International Telecommunication Union, the ITU, for those of you who didn't know, and I'll confess, I didn't know, um, have created this ranking, this index, um, and put the US in first place. I've, I've worked it out. 82 questions uh, they asked, they, no, from, they each, asked them, from each country. Yeah, that's right. They asked <laughs> one representative from each country, 82 <laughs> questions, and their answers to those questions were answered, and therefore it turned out that the United States were the most secure country in the world, which is a little bit like asking me 82 questions. And get, let me guess, the index would say that Immersive Labs was the best cybersecurity company in the world. Um, I think I worked it out. It's political, isn't it? No! US. <laughs> Shut up. But it's a British company. Isn't, isn't this think tank a British think tank? How do we not fudge those numbers well, to make ourselves because we're, one. because we're british so we were like we were like okay we're going to create an index we want to make ourselves look good but not too good because that's british so we will be so we will be good old-fashioned british second yeah, this is why fine. we're going to be runners up in the in the football oh the um i know for a fact this is not true though for a fact for a fact yeah for a, for fact. a, fact. For a fact not yeah not because a, not a the most speculation. cyber secure no, no. The most cybersecure nation in the world is going to be the one Antarctic. That have any internet? <laughs> so, <laughs> so North 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 Korea then. The penguins, the penguins, they're totally fine. No, but you think about it. Like one of those tribes that have no connectivity, nothing. Like they're more secure than everybody else. The only way to be cybersecure is don't be on the internet, totally disconnected. Don't have any computers at all. There are other questions, of course, that come out of this. Um, if you look at the list. Um, and we we haven't talked about Estonia and the cybersecurity like chops. Estonia is like 
up there. Estonia is incredible. Up there. No, but, no, I think that's fine. Yeah. They should be they're up there. Third. They're in the digital five. They're third. It, where's Israel? Let me, read you the, let me read you, though, the nations that are included in the report. So Estonia, as I mentioned, South Korea, Singapore, Spain. Russia is in there at fifth in fifth place, um, but there's no China included. Um, yeah, so it just feels like, I don't know, it just all seems quite... It, A, all seems quite speculative, um, and B, looks like it's very much connected to, you know, sort of compliance and, um, like, meeting requirements and all this kind of stuff, which obviously is not the same as, like, maybe actually testing how secure they are, for example. <laughs> it's easy to see why Russia's there, because Russian uh, ransomware operators don't target Russia. Therefore, they're just inherently secure against all ransomware attacks. There's also a line in there that I like that I would like to have explained that India rose from 47th place in the last one to 10th. What have they done that's uh, particularly impressive? I'd like to know. Yeah, well, I, I mean... I, so, I was <laughs> asked a different person. They, they answered 82 <laughs> questions slightly better than they did last year. <laughs> I mean, if we, we all have, I suppose, full disclosure, we should all say that we haven't necessarily read the report just because we were too oh, yeah. busy we were too busy laughing, laughing at the idea <laughs> that 82 questions could determine the entire like cyber security capabilities of a nation it just Was feels like a standardized like... role or i mean what just like <laughs> pick up the phone yeah i mean they don't even so that isn't even that is yeah that isn't even really mentioned uh in the article in the article either it's just like one person was asked 82 questions and that's how we created our index and you don't need to worry your pretty little head about any of the details just believe us when we tell you it's america uh, hang on a second uh, this this line earlier this week british think tank the international institute for strategic studies published its own assessment and determined that the usa is the sole cyber superpower oh shut up that's a great bit of pr though isn't it uh, it's also a registered trademark. I'm not sure what's a registered trademark of that statement, but uh, Soul superpower. The, the Soul logo superpower. is uh, the superpower uh, trademark to own. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that next to my name now. <laughs> I have opened this document. <laughs> it looks to me like they're looking at legal, technical, organisational capacity development and cooperation as some of their measures. So it's not just on the attack, you cyber nerd. It's on <laughs> policy and. All that other nonsense. Do you have a cybersecurity policy? Yes, congratulations. You are the superpower we want today. <laughs> Data protection legislation, Kev. It's not just about hacking, you know, CIA and all that. Well, there's a difference between does your company, uh, does your country have legislation and do organizations follow it? Do you know Is who's it? at the bottom of this? Sorry, Yemen. Yemen and the Vatican, the Vatican uh, and Yemen. It's, hang on, so but Yemen they, come underneath they, Vatican? Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> so surely, no, yeah. sure, no. In all, in all seriousness, though, if one of these questions in there wasn't cybersecurity experts per square mile, like capita head, <laughs> then it should, yeah, but per square mile, then it should be they're asking the wrong questions. Like the Vatican's got got tons of cyber expertise well, per person. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. I, I hate to bring facts to the party, but the um, what happened was there was no data collected. So Micronesia, Vatican, and Yemen had no data correct, corrected. But the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, aka North Korea, they um, are fourth on the bottom, but they oh, didn't so respond to the questions. They, they didn't answer the questions. Um, but but we've huh? still scored them. How? Anyway, basically what no, we've learned know. is it's a nice no, headline, but 
I'm not sure how much of, how much any of us actually learnt from that. But thanks anyway, ITU. Well done, ITU. <laughs> yeah. I hope you get some more funding from the US. We have to move on. It's a packed show. Um, now, last week we talked about uh, Netgear. We got there was there was there were animated conversations about Netgear amongst the amongst the group. Some of the some of the most animated I think I've ever seen. Better. I don't think I've ever seen him quite so did exercised very... about something. But anyway, look, so we moaned about Netgear. Kev's got vulnerabilities that he's submitted. He's waiting because he's not allowed to say anything publicly. He has to wait for Netgear to want to do okay. something. And then yesterday, Netgear um, published uh, uh, published vulnerabilities in cooperation with Microsoft Security, who I don't even you know they're a pretty big deal <laughs> in the world of cybersecurity. And one of them, I think one of them, is, is Kev's vulnerabilities. So Kev is A, sad that they either found the vulnerabilities first or is sad that netgear just didn't return his calls you weren't important they stole it kev's not important like i don't care if they say they found it before me exactly the same kev Kev, you're over this already aren't you uh so uh, microsoft found and disclosed three vulnerabilities um i've disclosed uh three so far and i've got three that i've yet to disclose which is where i'm asking them not to like lock me into ndas one of those is the um full off bypass uh which is one of the ones that microsoft discovered uh as well so uh that's a little bit upsetting uh, i mean to be fair to microsoft they probably got there before me uh but i'm sticking by my guns they stole it from me they're spying on me uh it's mine give it back you know what is even better about this is that I have included this segment under Hackers Could because the headline in Tech Radar is Netgear Router Bugs could have given hackers the key to the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, it's So now you can tell us, now you can tell us, is this a hackers could or is it you know, is it is it real? Oh, it's a hackers could. Uh, I mean, first of all, what large corporate organization is going to be running a Netgear router? Uh, for their corporate devices. I mean, it's not going to happen, and especially on this model as well. This is this is home IT stuff. Now, I suppose there is an argument that uh, with more users at home, uh, then your home uh, routers become more important. Well, what about some tiny remote office or something Yeah, like so that? small enterprises, they're probably going to have this kind of stuff in there. Um, but this is an internal attack, so you've got to be on the inside of the network. Um, and all... I mean, if you can gain access to the router, there's a lot you can do. Uh, you can manipulate DNS entries. You can manipulate port forwards. Like you can, you can expose the organization. But in itself, it doesn't really do much more than that. Um, so, yeah, it's like it's a bad vulnerability, but it's definitely a hacker's could. And mostly, you're sad that mostly you're sad that Netgear ignored uh, you. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, so I have a conversation now with them, so. I, I emailed them. I, actually, I, I had to tweet them. Uh, and then somebody eventually emailed me back. Uh, and I was like, I don't want, I want to responsibly disclose, but I want to share how I discovered them so people can learn from that as well in the same way that I did. Like, I learned a lot doing it. And that's the whole premise of me wanting to disclose uh, is about like creating those articles. Uh, and it's just so much runaround like they come back and say yeah we're really excited to talk to you after we didn't send the email because apparently nobody we wrote the email but nobody clicked send it got stuck <laughs> in outlook so that that, that fills me with confidence in their abilities as a technical organization that does uh but i mean like <laughs> so i'm talking to the the, the netgear piece sir like the the vulnerabilities i've responsibly disclosed so far 
still haven't been analysed or triaged after what is now something like 50-something days. Um, and, yeah, it just doesn't feel right for a, for a bug bounty programme. Yeah, it's just it's annoying. It's really Maybe you should disclose them to Microsoft. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, so that's the thing. I could be going to... I could go to somebody like... Um, other uh, Kevin. Is it? You uh, go to other Kevin. He seems more. Go popular. to other Kevin. Uh, I could, I could just, I could just email Netgear and say I'm giving you ninety days, and in ninety days' yeah. time I publish it, um, and maybe that's the only way to force them to do anything quickly. Yeah, you could say I don't care about your, I don't care about your bug bounty program. I'm telling you, I found this thing. Like I'm going to. Yeah, and like the more I research this, the because I've been looking, I've been interested in uh, IoT development now and like exploiting them and like the methodologies. So I've been trying to find more information and the limited bits I can find, there's always this thing where they say, we've tried to report to Netgear. Netgear either won't let us or they get bound by NDA. So they say, actually, I'm not going to bother taking the the $300 you want to give me for this. I'm just going to to make it public and you can find out in the same the same vein. Well, it's interesting that you mention Internet of Things because um, there's been a story published this week in on Sky News that, and, the, and I'll read the headline: Homes filled with smart devices could be exposed to thousands of hacking attacks in a week. And the sky is blue, and grass is green. <laughs> but are they okay? So let's uh, you say that. Let's dissect the headline. Homes filled with smart devices. So I don't know what filled means. Like, <laughs> they say the average. They say the average the is, yeah. They say the average. They say the average is more than ten. So let's assume that means you know a TV, a smart assistant. I guess you could include a smartphone in that potentially, but there's none of the detail. There's not really any of the detail um, here on that. So that's the first thing. Filled with smart devices. What does that mean? Could, which is a word, of course, that we love, be exposed. Now, what does that actually mean? Does that mean, well, they're connected to the internet? So therefore, of course, they are exposed in some way. They're connected to the internet to thousands of hacking attacks. Attempts. And then you go and look in the report and the report actually says that in the, the they did, they basically did a, um, a survey of, I can't, I'm trying to find out how many homes it was. An average of yeah, a thousand, thousand unique scans. Yeah, yeah. So 1,017 on each home. Yeah. yeah, and sixty-six of those were malicious, and it rose from twelve thousand eight hundred in the busiest week. It rose to twelve thousand eight hundred in the busiest week. So what is a so what is a malicious? What is the difference between a malicious scan? Is that an attempt to access something? Then, because Kev, I want your context here because I feel like this article is saying hackers are like l- l- looking for your vulnerable remote devices and are clearly going to you know hack them at every opportunity but well, I mean, i'm hoping that you're going to say that's not the I mean, case that is the case and like i said sky is blue grass is green like the entire internet is scanned every second by people attempting to discover things so uh ssh like there's there's tens of thousands of ssh honeypots like out on the internet run by researchers so my um my honeypots get hit like every second of every day by Uh. automated scans looking for known vulnerabilities. Uh, And what surprisingly, your home has an IP address, which is also on the internet, which is also scanned every second of every day by people just uh, running automated scanners. Uh, Some of those are just looking for open ports. So Census and Shodan do this a lot, just uh, like port scanning the internet, um, like 
every second. Uh, and then we see a lot of actual exploit attempts, but they're very untargeted. So my uh, hate my website honeypot uh, gets attacked like every day by every kind of attack. So uh, it's running a a WordPress um, blog is the the honeypot is set up to be. And I get attacks against F5 appliances, against WordPresses, against Joomlas, because it's just automated scans, like basically yeah. just trying every single exploit against every single IP address in the world. So, so it's not that. So it's not that like hackers in balaclavas and hoodies in dark rooms are searching the internet for Gene in Derby's like Google nest like they yeah they just like i but i that's the way the article is constructed and we're coming into land here so i just want to talk about this right at the close i'm seeing because i go searching for these articles every week i am seeing an uptick in what i am calling these kind of cyberganda <laughs> stories which are basically there is a technical crumb of truth but the article itself is or genuinely feels like it's written in an attempt to increase the perception of threat. Would we say that that's fair? I just see, and and I'd go further and say it's irresponsible. Like, which is a consumer magazine? I've got to imagine my mum reading it. What's mum supposed yeah. to do about that? Like, is she supposed to be like fearful? Is she supposed to turn the devices off? Is she what? Like, what do you expect the public well, to do? Yeah, what are you meant to do? Don't have them. It's like saying, if you buy a car, it is possible that when you park it in a dark car park, someone might try to smash the window well, she, and steal something she's supposed from your to do by which? Like, there is, there's... Tell her um, which ones she should have I and mean, not the, have. But all they do, but all which are doing, are tell, all which are doing is telling her that these threats exist and that they're bad. Unless, unless they're about to launch a bad. consumer cybersecurity arm, which might be it. That, and that would be okay if you have a managed service provider by which to secure your home and make sure it's impenetrable. Who's going to start out of that business? It's not a bad idea, Paul. I mean, if they're not going to do it, we should maybe think about it. And the thing for me is, like, <laughs> these. I run a smart home. I've got lots of it, I, and a Google smart home. But all of my Google devices aren't exposed to the internet. Like, they're sat behind my network. So the only way in is to come in either through my wireless network or through my router. Hey, but and, you buy expensive stuff, don't you? Like, most people are buying like dodgy crap. Like, the, the number but of that, s- that makes it the same. Like, it's still not. I don't think there's a difference. Like, you don't connect yeah, your wireless kettle to the internet. You connect it to your home network, and your home network mm. doesn't broadcast that out to the internet. Like, your attack surface isn't every single device. Your attack service is your home router. Is your home right, but we've connection. seen enough that's... examples where these well-meaning services do cloud upload and view from anywhere, and then it is punching a hole. But that's out not what they're saying. Uh, I know, absolutely. I know. But that's, that's not, not what they're saying. That's not what they're saying. Anyway, I think we all agree that it's a thing. I think it's. A, I feel it's a theme we will return to. Um, but I just wanted to point out that I'm seeing an uptick in it. I like being ahead of the curve, and I've liked coining the word cyberganda. Well like done, it. Chris. And, and on that linguistic bombshell, <laughs> we must bring things to a close. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at ImmersiveLabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. 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 <laughs>